Hello and welcome to our January 2018 webinar on Medicare Secondary Payer. I'm Declan Gorley. I'm an attorney here at Lois Law Firm. Uh, this is part of our, our monthly webinar series. Uh, once a month on the third Monday of the month, uh, Lois Law Firm has a New York webinar, basically uh, doing a little webinar series to educate the workers' comp community. We also do a monthly webinar for New Jersey, so if you handle New Jersey claims, uh, feel free to sign up for that as well. Uh, in order to register, which if you're here today, you've probably already done that, if someone, if someone didn't do that for you. Uh, but on the top right corner of our Lois uh, website, lois-llc.com, there's a link to register for our webinar series. You can also go there and look at uh, archived webinars where this will actually be there probably tomorrow or the next day, uh, which will allow you to basically look back at all prior webinars that have taken place. I'm on a couple of those, so um, I'm not new to this game, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Martin Luther King Day. There's a few people in attendance, so at the end of, the, at this, of the webinar, if you have any questions, feel free to go to the right side of your screen and input that question. Um, I don't expect an abundance of questions because there's not that many people here today. Uh, thankfully, you're at home, unlike me, um, so therefore you're not talking about Medicare or Medicare secondary payer. Uh, if you do have an opportunity to ask a question, um, or feel free to input in that box. Um, if you don't have an opportunity to do it while the webinar is going on, if you're too slow to type or you don't think about the question until after this is over, feel free to send me an email. Um, typically, there's a, a, a slide here that gives my email address, but I will read it out to you now because it's, I don't see that it's popping up. It's dgorley, D-G-O-U-R-L-E-Y, at lois, L-O-I-S, hyphen, L-L-C.com. So like I said, if you have any questions, whether it's Medicare related or anything else related to New York workers' compensation, feel free to shoot me an email and I promise I will respond to you. Uh, as I said, we're here today to talk about Medicare, Medicare secondary payer, and basically how it affects your workers' compensation case. Uh, specifically, we're gonna be talking about New York. So in 1965, uh, these fine gentlemen signed a legislation which basically made federal, uh, a federal health program uh, for Medicare, which entitles people who have paid into Medicare for at least 10 years, or 65 years old to health benefits. Uh, there's another opportunity for people to be involved in the program if they're not 65 years old, that's if they are have end-stage renal disease or have been on Social Security Disability for 24 months. And in 1980, the Medical Medicare Secondary Payer Act was signed. Basically, um, if you have a, the federal government decide that if there's uh, another insurance or another program that should be paying prior to Medicare, then basically they should be the first payer. So Medicare becomes a secondary payer. Uh, for re respect to this uh, seminar today, workers' compensation becomes the primary payer. So not a lot of things in workers' compensation and with in relates to the uh, federal government make a lot of sense or have common sense, but this is a common sense approach. Basically, if you have a work injury, uh, the self-insured employer or the insurance carrier shouldn't be able to push off their liability for medica medical treatment to the federal government. So this, this law came into effect in 1960, 1965, oh, sorry, 1980. Between 1980 and 2001, there was pretty much a lack of compliance for, for the most part. Uh, this was prior to me practicing, but it's my understanding that at the end of a workers' compensation case uh, in New York, the claimant would go to the hearing, uh, the judge, the advers our adversary, the carrier's attorney would be present, and the claimant at some point would say, hey, who's gonna pay for my future medical treatment? And someone would say, even on the record, don't worry, Medicare will pay for it. Um, but obviously that's no longer the case as of, as of 2001. And we're gonna go 
go through some things today, basically, uh, so that you have a basic understanding of what Medicare and how Medicare is involved and what the requirements are. First, looking at the difference between a lien and what allocation is, why we care, what the penalties are, what your exposure is, what the red flags are. When should we, when should we be getting a Medicare set aside? And what Medicare's response is. So lien versus allocation. A lien is a conditional payment. So whenever you think of a lien, you think of past payments paid. So you have a case where uh, a claimant who's on Medicare and has a workers' compensation case gets a Medicare card, goes to their doctor. Uh, oftentimes, they'll have the same doctor for both their non-work-related injuries and their work-related injuries, uh, and they'll give they'll present the card to the doctor, or the doctor will just keep that card on file, and they'll start billing Medicare for workers' comp, uh, basically treatment that should be your responsibility as the carrier or the self-insured employer. So let's just use an example. The claimant injures their back. They go to the doctor. They're treating with their with their orthopedic doctor, and um, they treat with them for a foot, inju a foot injury. All those bills, obviously, are going to Medicare. All of a sudden, your bills for the that should be coming to you for the back injury start going to Medicare as well, and they slip through the cracks, and Medicare pays the bills. There's going to come a time, more than likely, especially if you're going to try to settle your case, where Medicare is going to assert a lien and basically come back to you and say, hey, we paid for this treatment for the back. You're the uh, workers' comp carrier. You have primary coverage on this. This is your responsibility. In order to plain English, basically, workers' comp is primary to Medicare, so we pay first. Whenever we're considering when Medicare's interest should be taken into account, basically, for medical treatment, has Medicare paid for treatment that's related to a workers' compensation claim? If they have not, then we don't have to take their interest into consideration. If they have, then we must always consider their interests. Uh, in workers' compensation, obviously, there's a couple of ways we can settle a workers' comp case. Uh, most commonly is a full and final section 32, where we're closing not only the medical treatment, but also the indemnity. Um, anytime we're closing the medical treatment and workers' compensation, the claimants entitled to uh, Medicare, that's when we'll, we'll need to take into consideration Medicare's interests. Uh, there's other, a couple of other types of settlements in New York. Uh, there's medical-only settlements. Obviously, for closing medical, we will have to take medic Medicare's interest into account. Uh, there are also indemnity-only settlements. So if you're closing the case indemnity-wise, Keeping open medical, meaning the medical claimant can continue to treat medically, uh, the carrier, the self-insurer is going to continue to pay those bills. We don't have to take Medicare's interest into account because obviously we're still going to be there paying the bills for the treatment. This is uh, on the screen now. You see a CMS determination letter. You'll also see um, so the the page of the left is what looks like a uh, consent for us to settle our case and they've approved our MSA or they reviewed our MSA and gave a comment on it. Uh, the, the little screenshot on the right is basically what a Medicare tentative lien letter or conditional payment lien letter will look like. And whenever we talk about allocations, we're talking about future. So as I said, liens or conditional payments, that's all treatment in the past. Allocations or set-asides or as they're commonly referred to as basically future medical expenses. So we're projecting what this claimant is going to be, need medical treatment-wise looking into the future. So if we determine that um, he's going to need $50,000 of future medical treatment, we're going to allocate $50,000 into a set-aside, basically protecting future, uh, the future benefits that could, or future medical bills that we can go, could be going to Medicare. And why do we care? Well, the law requires it. 
um, there's certain penalties, and obviously there's some exposure involved if we don't uh, take Medicare's into, a, into account. If Medicare's interest should be taken into account and we did not take them into account, there's potential for double, double damages against any entity. So that's significant. Obviously, if you should have uh, protectively kept aside $200,000 for Medicare's interest, that's potential damages of $4,000. Claimants and their attorneys should care because um, if Medicare's interests have not been taken into account, there's the potential for Medicare to issue a termination notice, basically saying we're not paying for any of your medical bills, where, whether related or not, until you've reimbursed us. Social Security, if they're on Social Security and they're getting a weekly, or sorry, a monthly check, will also be withheld until uh, the Medi Medicare secondary payer claim has been satisfied. So some red flags as to when a claimant will be on Medicare or when you should be considering Medicare's interest. First of all, if they're already entitled, or second, if the settlement is over $250,000 and there's a reasonable expectation of Medicare becoming uh, interest, the claimant becoming Medicare eligible in the future. Who is Medicare eligible? So, uh, basically, if you're 65 years old and you've paid into the system for 10 years, you will have medical, Medicare benefits. If you have end-stage renal disease, you'll have Medicare benefits, or if you've been receiving Social Security disability benefits for the past two years. That's important to know because a claimant could be on uh, Social Security disability benefits for a year or have just received an approval notice that's only uh, making them eligible for Medicare, uh, sorry, Social Security disability for the past six months. At that point, they're not yet on Medicare and they do not have eligibility for Medicare until they are, have been on SSDI for two years. What is a reasonable expectation for Medicare entitlement? Basically, if they've applied for SSD and they've been, uh, they've been denied and they've filed an appeal and the appeal is currently pending, uh, if they're 62 and a half years old, obviously within 30 months, then they will become 65 years old and potentially Medicare eligible as long as they've paid sufficiently into the, for the past 10 years or 10 years in total, or if they have end-stage renal disease. So when we submit our um, proposed Medi Medicare set-aside to CMS, uh, CMS is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They are the entity that basically reviews these medical set-asides or Medicare set-asides. They, they will issue a response with respect to their lien reimbursements or for allocations. How Medicare will respond. Medicare will always respond with a, if the claimant is entitled to Medicare with lien information. They will not review, they will not respond or so they will not review if the claimant's not currently Medicare eligible or me medically enti Medicare entitled. And they will not review cases where the threshold has not been met. So if the claimant is uh, receiving Medicare, has been on Medicare, for, uh, has been SSD eligible for two years, and now is receiving Medicare benefits, but the settlement, our settlement is not above $25,000, that's the threshold for Medic CMS to review our proposed set-aside. Medicare expects compliance, and they will send out consent letters. So in a typical case, um, we'll get an allocation report from our client. Uh, typically, they'll have a vendor complete this. They may have an, a law, uh, law firm to specialize in doing this. Send them the, consent, the allocation report, proposing basically what the future uh, medical benefits will be and what we should withhold in the, as part of the agreement. We will then send that to CMS. Uh, presuming that it's ne that's necessary and that it meets the correct requirements. And Medicare through CMS will then respond. Um, if we propose $100,000 uh, allocation, they may respond that that's sufficient. They may also respond that that it's not sufficient, which is not uncommon, unfortunately. They may say we need 
$120,000, they may even respond that we're taking too much into consideration that they only require us to allocate $80,000 for this future medical treatment. Um, Medicare will, also, and that CMS authorization letter, will also specify uh, what the requirements are if we're gonna fund it with an annuity. So if we propose a $100,000 settlement, and our intention is to not just pay that out in one lump sum to the claimant, but instead to annuitize it, the uh, CMS authorization letter will specify how much seed money, how much money we have to put out up front, and then how it, the annuity has to be funded or as payout in terms of the life of the annuity. So obviously it wouldn't make sense if we were uh, funding an allocation of $100,000, we purchased the annuity, and the annuity terms were pay only $5,000 for the first 15 years, and the final 10 years, when there's a good chance the claimant will no longer be living or will no longer be eligible, the remaining 90,000 gets paid out. So basically, Medicare through CMS will dictate what the requirements for an annuity are. So if you have any questions, uh, speak now, or I will not respond to any. Um, it does not look like we have any questions today. Again, um, this was a quick webinar. Um, not a lot in attendance, so I didn't expect too many questions. Uh, but if you have any questions or anything comes to mind, or if you watch this on uh, through our archive system and then have a question then and you're not live, feel free to send me an email. Again, my email address is dgorley, D-G-O-U-R-L-E-Y, at lois-llc.com, and I will gladly answer your questions. This is part of our uh, webinar series. It's part of our giving back to the workers' comp community. We also have a 2018 New York and New Jersey Workers' Compensation Handbook. If you haven't yet got your copy and you want one, make sure to reach out to uh, the firm, either through Greg Lois or myself, and ask us for a copy, and we'll gladly send you one. Uh, again, thank you very much for joining us today.